Good morning. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn it to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And you may just go ahead and put a bookmark there because that's where we're going to be really focusing on throughout the uh, time that we are, uh, throughout our study. Uh, I want to focus predominantly on something that Paul has to say um, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to specifically his example in evangelism. But um, as I said just a moment ago, it's good to see everyone out this morning. It's good to uh, have people that we've not been able to have with us for some time. It's good to see uh, Brother Kyle and Miss Audrey out, and it's, it's just so good to see them. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're your, we're, uh, you're our delighted guests, and we just are so honored that you're with us. We ask that you just linger for a little while. Let us get to know you. Let us get to chat with you before uh, leaving this morning. As I said, if you want to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20, um, I think it's helpful to get the context of what Paul is talking about before we get to our just thematic verse. In Acts chapter 20, we actually sort of talked about this time frame of Paul's ministry uh, in the Bible class on Wednesday as we were looking at Ephesians. And the reason we did that was because even when you look to Acts chapters 19 and 20, it gives you a little context as to maybe some of the reason he would talk about some of the things throughout that letter. But you just remember uh, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is talking really to the elders at Ephesus, at the church at Ephesus, and he begins speaking to them about his example and how he preached among them, and really the terms, the tone of, of, of the, um, this speech that he gives to them, not speech, but the, the example that he's talking about in himself, it's, it's, it's a very serious conversation. It's... it's really in grave terms. He speaks gravely about how they need to preach when they, uh, among them, when they are, uh, go back to Ephesus and when he really is gone. Because you also remember that this is somewhat a, a departing speech because he says he'll probably never see them again. And so that even makes it more serious. But one of the reasons I think it's so serious and, and so fascinating is because in verse 26, he says, that he is innocent of the blood of all men in his preaching. Let me tell you something. That is something that we must strive for. That's something that really we cannot, um, we cannot be satisfied uh, if we can't say that in our own lives, with our own examples. Now, with that being said, I just want to ask, how did he do that? How could he, what made him get to the point where he could say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men in his preaching? And in his teaching. Well, I think it comes down to one verse in verse 27 of Acts chapter 20. It says that he did not shrink away from declaring the whole purpose of God to them. That is what I want to focus on this morning. I think the way that he, this, this is how he was innocent of the blood of all men. Because he shared the whole purpose. He did not take anything away and he did not add to it. And that's so important that we need to strive for. And, and, and you know, he even adds on to its importance because um, as he speaks to them about what is coming, he starts talking about this upcoming threat. And, and therefore, just like he dealt with those kinds of threats in his ministry, they're going to have to do that because not only are they supposed to be teachers, but they are shepherds. And they're going to be looking out for the flock at Ephesus. And so really I want to start with that that threat that he says will come in in verse 28. And really, I think that this threat he talks about isn't just isolated to the first century. It's something that we still 
must struggle with today and must figure out how to navigate today. And so beginning in verse 28 of Acts chapter 20, it says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Now, he, he continues to talk a little bit more about, as, you know, just in a farewell to the elders, but really I just want to focus on these four verses here. And the reason is because herein lies this threat that he says is coming to them and really is coming to all churches, to all Christians. And that threat is that savage wolves will come in even among the church. There will be an infiltration to a degree, as you see in verses 29 and 30. And they will do so in, under false pretenses. They're going to look like they are really among your number. But you remember what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, really verses 15 through 20. But he begins by saying there will be there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. They're going to look like they're our friends. They're going to look like they fit the part, but they are really just ravenous wolves and they want to tear you up. They want to take you away. Their desire is to take you away. And, and in Jude, in verses 3 and 4, even he talks about how they are going to uh, be among the number, how they're going to act among the number, how they subtly creep in unnoticed. And so it is a grave danger because it, it, just because of the nature of the subtlety and how it's, it's hard to maybe see or recognize those wolves in sheep's clothing. But we need to be able to recognize them because as we were just saying a moment ago, their goal is to distort the gospel and ultimately tear people away from Christ. They're trying to lead faithful Christians astray from Christ really to them and to their false teachings. And, and it's striking because he says, it will even be those among your number. They will arise from among you. Uh, and and that's, that's a terrifying notion, but it is the truth. And so what he says is ultimately the warning, be on guard in verse 28. And in verse 31, be on the alert. Let me just ask you something from the very outset of this lesson. Do you think that Paul is just saying that only shepherds need to be on the alert? Do you think that he is saying only the shepherds, only the elders, need to be on guard for what will be coming? No, this is, as this is a universal threat, this is a universal command. Now, shepherds have a particular role in this, and they have maybe even a higher accountability in this, but this is obviously not just a warning for the shepherds. It's a warning for the shepherds. It's a warning for all Christians, a warning for every single one of us in this room who has given themselves to Christ, who has been baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. If, that, if, if you have partaken in that, if you've participated in that, become a Christian, this command is for you as well. And so we need to be able to recognize those subtleties. We need to be able to recognize that threat when it comes up because it absolutely will come up. But ultimately, how did Paul do this? What in his example does he say that, that they need to look at, that he highlights, and that they need to emulate? Well, I think ultimately, as he talks about preaching the whole purpose of God, it comes down to mainly two things. And let me just say, there's many more things we can take from Paul's example all throughout his ministry. But particularly as he talks about himself, as we're about to read in verses 17 and onward, 
he particularly brings up a couple things several times, specifically about his teaching and preaching in Ephesus. And, and really, I think it comes down to his boldness and his consistency in the gospel. His boldness in preaching the gospel, even in uncomfortable situations, even when it would have been very difficult, and he would have known that it would have caused some issues. And also his consistency to speak the word to all, to everyone, with every single opportunity that he had. So I want to talk about those two things for the remainder of, of the lesson this morning as we think about the, the need to be able to, like Paul, preach the whole purpose of God. And when we think about the boldness aspect of that, to not hold back, let, let's just begin by reading verse 17 of Acts chapter 20. It says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now, after reading that and in his example throughout Ephesus in his preaching, obviously, as I just said a moment ago, I want to start with this boldness that he had. And ultimately, I think it's illustrated, it's, it's often, especially with Paul, illustrated by not holding back any portion of the word. Your translation actually may say, I did not hold anything back. In verses 20 or, or 27. Or ultimately, the New American Standard had it as shrink back. And I kind of like that imagery because it kind of shows you what the Bible has to say about that kind of action. What, what are you doing? You're, you're being small, really. Why? Because you're not bold enough. You're not courageous enough or maybe even confident enough to speak the whole truth. Now, people, when, when you read throughout the Bible and you see the kind of, you see the kind of expectations that God has for us... Even in evangelism. And we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. But people say well, all the time, you know, they kind of say something similar as, as Balaam in Numbers chapter 22 and verse 18. Remember when Balak the king tries to come and, and, and really bribe him to curse God's people? He says, oh, I, even if Balak were to give me all of his silver and gold, I could not say anything, I, either good or bad. I could not take away or add anything to the word of the Lord. That's a beautiful statement. You know what the problem is? He didn't mean it. And I think a lot of times people would say this and they'd say something very similar to Balaam, but then they ultimately, when push comes to shove, they act just like Balaam. They didn't mean it from the outset. It wasn't something that was actually in their heart. They just knew that it was the right thing to say. But they didn't go all the way forward with it. And so th this is displayed time and time again, this shrinking back. Boldness has to do with not shrinking back. Boldness has to do with not taking anything away, even when it's going to be uncomfortable, even when we know it's going to cause a stirring. 
whether negative or positive, they don't shrink back. Now, Paul, I think especially when you think about shrinking back from certain aspects of the gospel, it almost always has to do with those hot-button topics. But let me tell you, Paul never shrunk back, and he never shirked away from his responsibility, even on those kind of hot-button topics, where people have, just have hair triggers. They're so quick, the drop of a hat, they're angry as soon as something specific is said or talked about, whether it be a, a topic on marriage, divorce, remarriage, anything like that. Well, Paul always had the mindset that if Christ said it, if my king has stated this, what am I going to do but proclaim it? What else would I do? Now, I think this often looks like um, just really, not necessarily just acting like it doesn't exist in the Bible, but really kind of brushing things under the rug or putting things aside that really ought to be dealt with. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, we're not going to read that whole passage, but in Galatians chapter 2, uh, in verse 12, you see this example of Peter, how Paul talks about this public example that Peter showed. He was being a hypocrite. And how was he being a hypocrite? Because he, he would preach the gospel unashamedly, but then when it came time, the, 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 the party of the circumcision, certain Jews would come uh, and be, be around Peter. What would he do? He would withdraw. That's the same word that you see in Acts chapter 20. Uh, where it says shrink back. He would shrink back. He would withdraw because he didn't want the circumcision party to see him with, with the Gentiles, with the uncircumcised. And Peter was playing the hypocrite. And Paul publicly rebuked him and even uses him as an example in Galatians to say this was wrong. Why? Because he wasn't bold enough. He said, he said the right things. He preached the right things. But when push came to shove, he didn't show it. But Paul, when, even when Jews would cause problems to his face, he would never withdraw. He would never just let go of something. He would say unashamedly, yes, salvation has even come to the Gentiles. He would never say something, though, like this. Well, yeah, salvation come to the Gentiles. Let's talk about something else, though. Or he wouldn't just try to you know, quickly overlook that by saying, I, well, I mean, that is true, but you know, let's just not talk about that. We don't, we don't need to focus on that because it's just making everybody angry. It's making everybody uncomfortable. Paul never did that. In fact, he'd go a step further. He'd say, uh, yeah. He would affirm, yes, they absolutely do have salvation. Also to the, from the, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. And guess what? Not only did he stay there, but he would go further and say, and you should be joyful. He, he would speak to the Jews and say, you should be glad about this. But what were they? They were the older brother in the parable of, of the prodigal son. They should have been rejoicing with the Father, but they hated it. And, and, and so that's what I love about Paul is that it would be so easy to just say, oh, all right, I mean, this is true, but let's just forget about it for now. No, he was very firm when it came to the gospel, when it came to the things that maybe people don't want to hear even. Now, I just want to ask, with that being said, do we do this? I think there are a few instances where that can happen even today. You think, well, you don't have that kind of maybe race issues between Jews and Gentiles. But you do have divisions that come up, contentious issues that come up, even within the church. It, when, when, when there's a division in the church, how do we brush that aside sometimes? Well, let's just agree to be quiet about it. Let's agree to be silent about this. Or maybe we just say, let's agree to just silently hate each other. Should that be how brethren talk about one another? Should that be how brethren think about one another? No, no, no. 
You know how Paul would have acted? You know how Paul would have dealt with that? He said, there's a problem here. In fact, he does it a few times throughout the epistles, but I think especially about Philippians. With Syntyche, and, and there, there were two ladies in the congregation. Strive with them. Make sure that they are at ease. Make sure that they have that unity of love. And in the mind of Christ that he talks about in chapter 2. That's the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes we do what Peter did. Or we just we shrink back. We, we, we uh, withdraw our responsibility. And we just leave something that should not continue. You know, maybe, maybe not even just within the church, but when you talk about in certain studies with the world, you get to the question of, well, what does the Bible say about X, Y, or Z? Are we going to be bold like Paul? Or are we going to try to brush it under the rug? I think a lot of times we just keep brushing things under the rug until it gets so big we trip over it, and that's going to cause an injury. <laughs> that's going to cause even more serious issues. And so we need to be bold like Paul. Is there something that, that I am brushing under the rug is there, is there something where I don't have the proper boldness? I think we can honestly ask ourselves that question. And I think we can honestly, honestly apply it. Honestly answer that question. What is it that I have not been bold about? What is it that I have deliberately tried to just, mm, let's just not talk about that? If we've done that, can we say that we have the boldness that Paul did? Are we preaching the whole purpose of God? Or just, oh, I'm preaching a good bit of it. <laughs> Well, regardless of the topic, I think when we talk about being this bold, bold as Paul, you see in quotation marks, you know, whether it's big or small, I don't know how you judge a part of God's word as a bigger portion or a, or a smaller portion of the word. But however you would, would, you know, categorize that, big or small, regardless, if we don't have this kind of boldness, God says he will not be pleased with us. He says that's not satisfying for me. We can't fully please him. If we're going to shrink back over in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, <clears throat> beginning in verse 35, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 35, the, the, the Hebrew writer says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, or if he withdraws, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Even just within the passage in verse 39, what does he say? Who shrink back to what? To destruction. When we shrink back from our full responsibility with the whole purpose of God, I think the only, the only indication we have is we're shrinking back to destruction and so we need to be more bold because let me tell you, I'm a, lot scared, I'm a lot more scared of shrinking back to destruction than preaching the whole purpose of God. At least I should be. And so even just immediately you see what he says you're shrinking back to. But, but how does he, he says, my righteous one shall live by faith. How do we live by faith? Well, there are several applications we can make of that. But one application we can make is we preach God's word unashamedly. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, for I am not a shamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I, again, that's another verse that, oh, 100% amen to that, I believe that, but, but do we show it? How can I be innocent of the blood of all men 
If I specifically, specifically leave out something that has to do with the power into salvation? Well, answer, you can't. So there's a, there's a big difference in merely professing confidence in the word and showing it. Kind of like we were talking about what, what Balaam had to say. It was a very, very confident thing to say, but ultimately we see he didn't truly believe it. Now just, I'm taking a page from, from Brother John Dryden's book, but, but here's a challenge. Think back on this past week. Can, can we think of, of one instance, just one, where we showed boldness? And I'm not talking about just talking about the Bible, but talking about it when it would have been maybe a little bit more difficult, a little, little bit more uncomfortable. Think, just, can I think back on one instance where we showed it? If not, I think that this is something that we can at least put in our minds. This is something that needs to be worked on. This is something I need to focus on growing and strengthening. Boldness, unashamedfulness in the Word. So, so we need to have boldness like Paul in, in preaching the gospel, in preaching the whole purpose of God. But secondly, we need to have that same kind of consistency, uh, taking every single opportunity that we have to preach the gospel. Look, look, at what, look at just how often and in all the different places that Paul would preach the gospel. We're not going to read that, that, that whole passage again, but Paul preached the whole truth everywhere and to everyone, the, really the only condition to who he would talk to is if they would listen or not. If, if someone even had remotely an ear to hear, he was speaking to them. He wasn't picking and choosing, but he's publicly preaching the word of God. But he doesn't just leave it there. He also, from house to house, preaches the word of God in verse 20. Again, he preaches to both Jews and Greeks. Again, to everyone that would listen. He speaks even though he knows, in, in verses 20, 22 through 23, he talks about how he has an indication that he is not going to be a free man for very long. That he is going to change. He's going to be in bondage. And it's specifically because of preaching this word. What I love about Paul is, even though he knew it was coming, he did not shrink back. He took every opportunity knowing that he was going to be put in chains. Uh, I, think, I think a lot of the time we can pretty much tell when we're having Bible studies with someone or we're talking with someone, whether or not there's going to be a topic or a specific passage that raises some eyebrows or at least raises some questions. And, it, and we can probably tell as well, it may cause some discomfort with some people, with some individuals. Are, are we going to take every, every instance? Are we going to take every single opportunity that we have like Paul did or are we not going to follow his example, knowing the persecution that's going to come specifically because of the preaching? Well, then maybe we'll just overlook this for a time. You know, maybe we'll come back to it, but I don't really want to talk about it. How was Paul so consistent in this? Ultimately, I, I, and, this, and you can even think about some of the things that we talked about in the Bible class this morning when it comes to some examples of how we need to, we need to pray more and need to make it a discipline. And there was even some th thoughts about you know, making prayer a habit. Making prayer a habit is a good thing. And in fact, I, I would say for most people, if, if you have a problem, you need to start with just making it a habit. But there was a comment made, it, it, it can be a habit and be ineffectual. It can be a habit and yet mean nothing. Because we can just go through the motions, we can just say certain words and then, oh, well, I've, I've met my quota for the day. 
I, I want it to be a habit during my daily life, but you know what? I also want it to be a discipline. I want it to be a natural part of life. And this is how I think Paul was so consistent, because the gospel was a natural part of his life. You know, when it comes to our interests, the things that we love to, to read or to watch, when it comes to our hobbies, there are lots of things that we are very interested in. And, and, when, it and, and when we do uh, love something that much, when we're that interested in it, we tend to talk about it a lot. You know, there are some people that like to watch NASCAR. I don't personally get it because you're just going in a circle over and over again. If that's your thing, sure. But there are people that know the names of each driver. And why is it? Because that's just a natural part of their life. They love watching it. And they've made it, they made it natural by getting to know the rules, by getting to know how you play the game, and getting to know even the players. There are people, and maybe this hits closer to home, there are people that can tell you every score of the Wildcats in a basketball game for the Wildcats for the last three decades. Now, personally, I, I don't understand how you can memorize that stuff. You know, there was, there was even a kid at Buckhorn when me and Pedro in Mississippi who could tell you not just, you know, Alabama or Auburn's or, or uh, some of the Mississippi states. He would tell you even the scores of the Wildcats, and he was states away. You know why? Because he loved it that much. He made it a natural part of his life. For Paul, it wasn't just something like NASCAR or the NCAA. It wasn't just some random thing like a game or some random hobby, the natural part of his life was the gospel. Not just preaching it, but living it. Do, do we want to be this consistent? The ultimate question is, have we made it that natural? Have we made it like our hobbies? Because again, you talk about the things you love. Do, do you love this? Have you invested that much time, that much mental energy into it? And so that's the main question that I want to end with this morning. Are we this mindful? Consistency means that we don't pick and choose where we'll preach adamantly. Consistency means that we're not going to pick and choose what we study in God's Word adamantly. But particularly in the preaching, we must be, we must be hearing the truth everywhere we go. Now, not just from an individual perspective, but even from a collective perspective. We need to make sure that we're hearing the whole truth from the pulpit. We need to make sure that we're hearing the whole truth from house to house. We need to make sure that we're hearing the whole truth in our Bible classes. Paul was effective in his ministry because he didn't say, you know, I'm going to focus more on my public preaching, my public speaking, than I think even my private studies. What does it say in Acts chapter 20? He preached publicly. He preached from house to house. He preached to anyone and everyone who would listen. He didn't. He didn't just stop because, oh, I don't really like that person. Or he didn't stop because, I, I, you know, <laughs> I really don't want to take the time. He didn't stop because I, I really would just rather focus on my public speaking. No, he preached every single opportunity. Likewise, we have to be just as diligent in each area. Every single part of this book. I want to be diligent. I want to be adamant about how I talk about that. I want to be able, when someone brings up, you know, uh, the, the, the Israelites and, 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 their, and how they uh, treated God after they had been delivered from Egypt, I want to be able to pick right up with them and say, yep, yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Have you even thought about this? 
I love it when you talk to certain Bible students, you can tell they're Bible students because when they talk about it, not only are they familiar with the question you bring up or the story you bring up, but they speak about it like it's their favorite bedtime story. I love that. And, and why can they do that? Because they do absolutely know it. They've been diligent in each area because they love what God has to say. You know, if, if Paige, if my wife only ever heard me talking about spiritual things in the pulpit, but never outside of it, she hears me every single Sunday preach, and even sometimes in Bible classes, teach about this whole purpose of God. But what if we got home and she saw that I practiced none of those things? What do you think she's going to think about me? I'd say hypocrite. Are, are we hypocrites in this? I would say if you're looking for opportunities, Paul was so effective because he took the gospel with him everywhere. So maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is, if we're not seeing any open doors, is that because maybe I'm just not bringing it with me everywhere? Or I'm just picking and choosing some places that I feel like it'll, oh, well, you know, this soil, I feel like this is going to be more fertile soil. Now, I, I'm not saying you can't make judgment calls, that there are going to be some places where people accept the gospel a little bit better than others. But no, no, no. Everywhere the seed is supposed to be sown. And so are we following after the example of that, that, that ultimate, the perfect sower with that seed, the Word of God? Well, the last question I want to ask is, are, are we being as consistent as Paul? And if we are, what does that look like in application? If we are being just as consistent as him, what that means is we're going to be giving just as much attention to our Bible classes as we are to the preaching. If we're being as consistent as Paul, we'll be focusing just as much on evangelism as we are on the Bible classes. If, if we are just as consistent as Paul, we won't look at any area in our lives, maybe like our homes, and say, well, you know, I or, or the kids hear enough teaching at services, so we don't have to talk about it as much at home. Are, are we picking and choosing? We get enough of the, of the Bible studies on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. That should be enough, right? Let me tell you something. What do you think is going to be more effective? What do you think is going to be more, um, more positively effective on, on a child's mindset? Just leaving the teaching for Sundays and Wednesdays and maybe not even hearing their parents talk about it during those classes because maybe they're even in a different class or a room. Or when they talk about their Bible classes, when they talk about spiritual things in home, or even when they're just going to the store, or even on the way back from services. What do you think about that? What do you think about some of the things that were said? I'll tell you, I think, I think we all know and understand very uh, quickly that what will be more positively effective is the latter. If we're constantly talking about it, not just leaving it for someone else, but we are engaging in it. We are active in it. If we're just as consistent as Paul, we won't be constantly looking for open doors. They will just present themselves. And why? Because when all we do is talk about the word, you can't miss those opportunities. God says, seek and you will find. Guess what? You will find if you're seeking rightly. And so we will be that consistent. We will be that bold if we're bringing it with us everywhere we go. If we aren't picking and choosing, but if we take it all with us. Well, with all that being said, you may be a Christian and you may be thinking through some of these things as we've talked about Paul's example in Acts chapter 20 throughout his time at Ephesus in, harsh, in, in a harsh environment. You may be thinking, I've not even been in that kind of harsh environment 
and yet I haven't been living up to these expectations. I would just say, you, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to realize that maybe you have been struggling or even failing in one, in one instance, one aspect of our, of our lives in the gospel, in Christ. You can make things right this morning before you even leave this building. Are you struggling with doing these things? We can help you with that. If you need the prayers of the congregation here, if you need help from specific brethren that you trust and that you know have already maybe integrated this into their lives, make it happen. But don't sit there and not be consistent like Paul. Don't pick and choose where I'm going to be adamant. No, I want to be adamant even from right now onward. So don't let yourself stay there. If you're not a Christian, though, I would just say <laughs> there's no amount of confidence there's no amount of boldness that will be able to stand before God in judgment without first having put on Christ, without first having your sins washed away. So how do we do that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you, are you going to be faithful to Him? Are you going to be willing to repent of everything that He says you need to, be let go, that you need to let go of, that needs to be cut out of your life? Are you willing to confess His name? Are you willing to... Make that pledge publicly because the public aspect is important. And are you willing to be baptized into his death to rise in newness of his life? If you're willing to do that this morning, we would love to help you with that. So if you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please come forward and let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.